welcome to Mortality and the Morgue. It's Rochelle. Today we're going to be talking about pre and post COVID morgues. Hopefully this won't be too much of a bummer, but I thought it would be worth talking about and somebody uh, had suggested this topic a little while ago of just what sort of changes happened. What was it like to work in a morgue before we were in a global pandemic and what sort of changes and things happened after we found ourselves in a pandemic and I found myself working in a morgue during that time, which of the places to be working during a global pandemic, definitely, I want to say not the worst place to be, believe it or not, like there are people who are far more like on the front lines, healthcare staff, etc., who definitely risked their lives and safety and all kinds of things way more than I did in the morgue. But I still just wanted to talk about some changes I, I witnessed, not only in the context of like the morgue I was working in, but also in like the death industry more broadly speaking. So like the funeral industry what it just in general recommendations that were made for like handling dead bodies that may or may not be contaminated with COVID. So what kind of protocols were put in place, you know, how they developed over the course of the pandemic, uh, stuff like that. So first I'll just kind of walk you through what it was like when everything kind of first shut down because one big distinction to make First and foremost, uh, if you weren't aware, the morgue I was working in when the pandemic started, it was a university morgue. So this was not attached to a hospital. We were strictly accepting donors for the body donation program uh, for that particular purpose. So people who just die in the community slash a hospital would not just come to our morgue. We had a specific holding facility for people who were coming to donate their bodies to science. So that I think is first and foremost what I mean by like I was not super at risk in terms of one, dealing with a huge overload of extra dead bodies all of a sudden because I think that was a question I got right, kind of right away once the pandemic started and we started seeing like the death counts go up. People were like, whoa, you must be a lot busier at work. And it was like, Actually, not really, because if people are dying from COVID, which obviously people have and are, they actually are not eligible to donate to our program because we have a screening process that was a big part of my job was to speak to donors, physicians, and go through like a list of criteria. I kind of go over this in the episode, Donating Your Body to Science, but just briefly, you know, I go through a list of criteria because, you know, COVID aside, people have all kinds of infectious diseases. And one of our criteria for the program is that you cannot have an infectious disease. So that includes things like hepatitis, HIV, etc. And that's for the safety of not only the staff, but for the students who will be dissecting these donors, you know, you don't want to risk anything spreading through the process of embalming, etc. So right away, as soon as, you know, this COVID thing really started amping up, that was, you know, immediately added to our list of things to screen for, which was, do they have COVID? Not only that, were they, you know, exposed to somebody with COVID in the last little while? A lot of our donors also were elderly 
and therefore lived in... Yeah, Wanda says hi. A lot of people were living in care facilities. And as you may be aware, a lot of the especially early outbreaks were happening in care homes. So even if they didn't necessarily have a positive test for COVID, but they were in a facility where there was an outbreak, we also couldn't accept them into the program that way. But all of that being said, for any infectious disease, there's always going to be a risk regardless, regardless of their history, you know, because again, I'm screening all of these bodies, but we've had it where, you know, they're completely clear, no infectious diseases, you've spoken to the doctor, they sound like a great candidate, so we accept them into the program. And then for some of our bodies, like the vast majority would be embalmed, but some would be used for teaching residents how to do like surgical procedures and stuff. So they actually wouldn't be embalmed. They would just be frozen. But the embalming process is actually kind of a sanitation process in a way because you're flushing out all of the blood. A lot of bloodborne pathogens are in the blood. So once you flush all of that out of the system and replace it with embalming fluid, there's not a lot, even if the person did have an, a virus or some kind of infectious disease, there's not a lot that you can like catch from a body unless we're talking about things like Ebola or something like that. So that being said, because we're not embalming these particular bodies for these workshops for the surgeons, we would have to take serology from these donors just to double check that they didn't have any bloodborne infectious diseases. And lo and behold, like it didn't happen very often, but once in a while we would send in serology and get back that, you know, they were positive for something like hep C, which is, you know, quite infectious and therefore we can't use the body. So that was always something right off the get-go, especially in like really early days of COVID of not really knowing what this thing was, you know, that was, I think the first question I asked my boss once I found out our program was going to stay open was how long does the virus stay on a body after death? And that was unknown for a long time because again, even if they're, you know, exposed to it in some way, as we know, there were a lot of negative tests. So even if they, you know, had got a negative test relatively soon before they died, you know, anything can really happen in a few days even. So there was always a bit of a risk, but I would say relatively low comparatively to, say, a hospital morgue. So anyways, when the program, it, at first it did shut down uh, very momentarily, but soon enough we opened because we were like, well, the medical school isn't going to be closed completely. So the medical school still needs bodies. So we kept accepting donors. And for a while, it was just my boss and another coworker because they were the only people who I worked with who had cars uh, because public transit was not completely shut down, but it was like really not recommended to use it. It was considered like a high risk transmission area. And I was busing to work every day. So it was my coworker and my boss who were going in and embalming cadavers on kind of an as-needed basis. So as we accepted them, they would go in and embalm them. But shortly after that arrangement started, my coworker actually broke his foot and couldn't work. And 
I was the next in line to start going in and embalming the cadavers. And it was funny because they still didn't want me to take the bus. So I had to do like a car share thing to get into work to handle human remains, which I always thought was a little bit ironic. Like, hey, you can't take public transit but you have to get to work to deal with these dead bodies that may or may not have a novel coronavirus attached to them. Like that was, you know, and again, like I really want to emphasize, I don't think my risk level was very high. And I will say talking about pre-COVID, you know, measures, we're always wearing PPE anyways, personal protective equipment. We're wearing face shields, we're wearing gloves, we're wearing aprons, you know, scrubs, the whole deal. So you're really like fully decked out when you're going to do an embalming anyways. So if you're doing proper procedure, again, even if the body did have COVID or did have any type of infectious disease, if you're handling the body correctly and you're wearing your PPE correctly, then your risk is pretty low. But I will say, I think the biggest not, you know, danger to my like physical health, but perhaps my mental health was going into the morgue during this time. Because as I'm sure you all remember, as the death counts were going up, everything's shutting down. This is like, it's still scary. But you know, at the very beginning, we knew so little about what was happening and how it was going to advance. And there's just so much like global grief and mourning going on. And then I also wasn't seeing friends, family. You know, I, I live by myself with Wanda, my cat, of course, but you know, I really wasn't seeing anybody, but had to go into the morgue to deal with, guess what? More death. So it was kind of in the global zeitgeist a ton. And then it was also my day-to-day job. And then again, I'm not only working with embalming the actual cadavers and the bodies, but also their families. So talking through people who are going through really intense grief or mourning or regardless, you know, it's a difficult time for them as well. So I think that was the biggest change in like the kind of post-COVID era was maybe just my general capacity to deal with all of the dark things that I was seeing and dealing with because it, in a weird way, it wasn't really like I could leave work and put it all, you know, out of my mind. It's like, okay, that was just, that's just my day job. It was, okay, this is my day job. And now I'm going home by myself. I don't have my like usual things, all of my usual things in place to like keep myself mentally well. Like I said, like spending time with friends and going out and doing, living a life. It was just like, okay, that was my day job. Now I'm coming home and thinking about that, I guess. (laughs) So that, that was a, a, I think the biggest change for me, but yeah, I, I'll, I'll say like in terms of actually handling bodies, with the knowledge of COVID existing in the world, it wasn't a huge factor for me in terms of, you know, being afraid of working in a morgue or anything like that. But, you know, I think again, though, in terms of speaking in other contexts of other morgues and people working in the death care industry, there was a lot of, you know, less so I would say maybe in Canada, but places like New York, morgues were literally overflowing. They had like temporary morgues 
you know, just these like makeshift sort of like cooled shelters outside of morgues to store bodies, refrigerated trucks, like they were truly overflowing with the amount of people who were dying. I read an article that said in New York City, you know, this one morgue usually dealt with about 150 bodies a day, which is truly like so many bodies. That's like even in regular times, that's I can't imagine working in a morgue where there's like 150 bodies coming in every day. But it went from 150 to 800 bodies a day. That's just an insane amount of people dying. And again, for those morgue workers, I mean, I think it's so easy to, when you hear certain numbers or things on the news or in an article or whatever, I don't know. It's I think it's sometimes can be easy just to be like, oh, well, it's just a number, you know, like, but then if you actually imagine what 800 bodies looks like and you have to work with 800 different people coming in every day and that's your day job, that is such an insane amount of grief. And even just from a practical level, like no more can handle that. And having a literal overflow of bodies is such like a, an awful thing to imagine. And, you know, I think it's just important. I think talking about post-COVID morgues, like we're not past COVID, obviously. I think it's more differentiating between like before COVID existed and after COVID existed, but in the post-COVID morgues, just talking about how much of a burden that is, not only on the facilities, but on the people who are working in those kinds of environments. Yeah, I think it's just important to keep in mind. And I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of burnout, I would imagine, in this field. I think in a lot of, again, healthcare or tangentially related even healthcare fields because I think people will have seen so much death more than they even expected in the context of working in the death industry and that is going to be I think one of the ripple effects of COVID well down the line and again you know those people especially who are doing things like autopsies you know I can't imagine if I was going in every day to do autopsies what that would be like because there, like the risk is real. One, because a lot of people coming in will have actually died from COVID. So when you're opening the body up, you have to do the lungs. And, you know, there's things like spray, bodily fluids, misting. There was this report by the World Health Organization called Infection Prevention and Control for the Safe Management of a Dead Body in the Context of COVID-19. And you know, they talk about different procedures and things that to, to keep in mind of, especially in the context of something like an autopsy. So making sure that you're wearing a respirator, like a proper respirator that is, you know, not just a regular face mask, but is actually preventing aerosolized particulates, especially with something like they, they specifically mentioned using power saws or washing intestines, which is funny because that's something that I've done. But yeah, so for example, with a power saw, like a lot of times we would use one on the skull, which, you know, again, that is going to cause some fragments and particulates to be put into the air, a bit of blood. Like, you know, there's lots of things that can be kind of aerosolized through the process of doing an autopsy and also making sure the morgue has 
proper ventilation. So I've mentioned before one, like things like downdraft tables, but also just in general, the facility should have a proper ventilation. They recommend that only the absolute minimum number of staff should be involved in the autopsy. And then of course, all staff wearing appropriate PPE. So those were some of the, the, you know, procedures put in place. I remember when I was first learning how to do autopsies, one of the forensic pathologists said as like kind of a safety measure is treat every body that comes into the morgue as if they have hepatitis C, which might sound a bit strange, but the general idea is like, truly, you don't know what this person is carrying in their body. And in terms of being safe around the body, you know, I feel like it can be easy to become complacent in certain ways. Like this is just your day in, day out. Like I handle bodies all the time. So, you know, certain things can slip, but I think he really said that to just remember that like any body you cut into has the potential to harm you seriously. If you even slip with your scalpel, if whatever, something splashes in your eye, you know, I've had like blood splash onto my mask before the mask that I was wearing during an autopsy. And if I wasn't wearing it, like it could have gone in my mouth, which I know is disgusting to say, but like, it's true. Like those things can happen. So I think it was just really amplified in the post COVID era that like literally any of one of these bodies could be infected and you should really treat it as such. And then especially if you're dealing with the actual lungs, they may still contain a live virus. So it's very important to yeah wear the proper PPE while, while handling those <laughs> lungs in particular. But I'll say in terms of what I was doing in the morgue, where we're barely really cutting into the person at all, we're not touching the lungs, we're mainly dealing with probably like contact spreading at the very most. And what this report says is, I mean, it was like kind of early days, but COVID is mainly spread through droplets. So things like coughing, sneezing, close contact, and even possible spread through feces. But it's funny, this says it's not airborne. And I feel like that is no longer the case. This this report was put out like early, early pandemic, like March 24th, 2020. But I think, as I had mentioned, one of my concerns was, does the virus exist on the body through touch? Because even, you know, we were talking about with our groceries, you know, when we're like spraying them down with disinfectant because it can exist on surfaces for a while. And I was like, well, the body is technically a surface, like when it dies, but you know, there's other things going on with the body. So at this point, I think they were really trying to emphasize that there's like no evidence of people becoming infected from COVID due to exposure of a body of a person who had died from COVID. They were just like saying a hasty disposal of a dead person from COVID-19 should be avoided. So I don't know what a hasty disposal of a dead person would be like 
We don't just have pits that we dump bodies in. You know, they have to go through funeral homes, mortuary care, etc. You know, and particularly for funeral homes, I think it was just recommended that all of the regular precautions are put in place. You're wearing PPE, you know, disinfecting the body, recommending that if there were any viewings of the body, that the family not touch, kiss, really get too close to the body just in case. It's funny, they even recommend for funeral homes that embalming is not recommended to avoid excessive manipulation of the body, which, you know, I guess in the context of funeral homes makes sense. We were doing embalmings because we had to for the purposes of making cadavers for the medical school. Um, But yeah, just regular old funeral home embalming was not recommended. So, you know, in terms of the differences there, I think it's just really reminding morgue staff, be extra cautious. But there was no, I think, major changes in how you actually handle the body besides, like I said, with the context of overflowing bodies in morgues that uh, really changed the way I'm sure their operations ran. Now, I mean, I'm out of the morgue. I, I won't say that, you know, I, I had been sort of thinking of leaving, I think, prior to the pandemic, but I would say working in a morgue during a pandemic definitely kind of gave me a bit of a nudge out the door. I I was I was ready to, to leave after that. You know, I was really lucky, I think, in a lot of ways just to be employed during the pandemic because a lot of people did not have that. And there were situations where I got to work from home, which was nice for me to not have to be at least physically in the morgue every day. Yeah, I think overall we, we were pretty comparatively unaffected. There was a couple times where we ran out of body bags things like that. I don't know. It's hard to say if that was just like a supply issue or if, you know, there was just a, a unprecedented amount of orders for body bags. Who's to say? But it is kind of an eerie thing when you're like calling in, trying to place an order for something that's a pretty niche <laughs> thing to order online. And there's, you know, a big delay and backup and back order for body bags. That was kind of a weird thing. But yeah, I think in general, it was just kind of reckoning with this new world we were in and like the global grief of it all and being in a place where there is so much death on the reg and then and really being blown up by the, the grander situation of being in a pandemic. So yeah, um, hopefully that wasn't too much of a, a, a depressing episode. But if you were curious about being in that kind of environment was like before and after a pandemics and during a pandemic, what that is like, I, th- I hope that was interesting for you. As always, if you have any topics for episodes, let me know because I think a lot of these these episode ideas have come from you and I really appreciate uh, any any thoughts that you might have in terms of what you'd like to hear me talk about. But we'll leave it there uh, for now. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Rochelle Uni. You can let me know what you think of the, the podcast so far. If you have any notes, if you know of anyone in the death industry, like a, a friend or family member who works in, in any of those roles, I would love to, to interview them or even yourself. So drop me a line. And if you like the podcast, it would mean a lot if you gave it five stars and a little 
written review on Apple Podcasts would be really nice, or just share it with a friend. That means a lot to me too. All right, friends, I'll leave it there. Have a great week. Stay safe and stay alive out there. Mm-hmm.